Ensuring patients receive the right care at the right time has always been one of the biggest challenges that we face in healthcare. How do we streamline these often complex journeys that patients take through the healthcare system? With me today on Talking Health Tech, I'm joined by Nick White and Kay Hocking from Alcidian, who are at the forefront of Patient Flow Solutions. And in this episode, we talk about how hospitals ensure beds are available when they're needed, ward resources are optimised, and clinical care is seamless. We'll uncover the components of a comprehensive patient flow solution from ward management to command centres, and we'll delve into the impact of patient flow solutions on clinical care, data interoperability, and real-time integration. Plus a lot more too. Collaboration starts with the Conversation Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch, featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. Being a GP in Australia is a busy gig. You see a lot of patients during the day, then you're expected to find time outside of the clinic to maintain your CPD and education. A great way for GPs to access education is through podcasts. And Australia's leading education podcast for busy GPs is called The Good GP. It's had well over a million downloads, regularly ranked in the top 10 medical podcasts in Australia, and a proud member of the Talking Health Tech Podcast Network. The show's hosted by three GPs, Chris, Tim, and Sean, and The Good GP regularly features episodes on all the important topics that GPs need to know without all the fluff. And The Good GP podcast now has the support of MedTech Global as a key sponsor for the show. MedTech help GPs be GPs by working with clinicians in Australia and New Zealand to develop patient management systems and healthcare technology. MedTech's on a mission to digitally transform general practice so GPs can focus on quality patient care. If you're a busy GP or know someone who is, check it out, The Good GP podcast on your favourite podcast player. Nick, Kay, how are you? Doing well. Thanks, Pete. Good. Great to have you on the podcast and our city and being no strangers to talking health tech, it's always good to talk about the, the big problems and the big opportunities that exist within healthcare. For those that don't know yourselves, perhaps just give us a high level and where you, what you do within the Alcidian crew. Nick. Thanks, Pete. Uh, I look after marketing and analytics within Alcidian. Uh, marketing bit's obvious. The analytics side of things, we look at uh, supporting our customers in terms of the reporting and the insights that they develop around uh, performance uh, and also any of the sort of AI uh, stuff we do around predictive analytics and those sort of areas. But uh, over to you, Kay. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, so I'm um, Director of Product Management at Alcidian. Been doing that role for about a year. I have a background. I was in the marketing area that Nick is looking after now for a little while, but have a background in product and account management. And I, I think that that's important because one of the key areas in the product management is making sure that we're listening to what our customers are needing from the software as well too. So work closely with our development teams, obviously, to make sure that we get quality product that's meeting customer needs out the door. Yeah, absolutely. And and I guess then diving into it and thinking about those customer needs within a healthcare setting, particularly in the in the context of patient flow, which we're talking about today. Set the scene for me, Kay. Tell me a little bit more about what patient flow actually is. Okay, patient flow. I I have a background like um, 
longer than I'd care to say in uh, digital healthcare and sort of started off working in the PAS space and then moved into the EMR space. And I think that's where patient flow wraps it all up nicely together because it, it gives that both that clinical and operational perspective on managing care delivery, both at a, an individual patient level and across the enterprise. It does have multiple objectives. I mean, primarily, of course, it's the patient. They're the centre of this. And Having uh, an optimal stay for the patient, doing what we can to make sure that they're the least impacted by patient moves or their care and everything like that is really the most important objective there. From a clinical perspective, it supports the whole team and creates that team environment for them to work together in order to deliver that optimal care to the patient. Then you can look at it from the operational perspective. So, you know, executives at hospital working with scarce capacity and increasing demand need to understand what's going on at in real time and we'll talk a lot about the importance of real and availability of um, real-time data as we go through this and so really you know just in summary it it gives you that sort of enterprise perspective on what is happening with the ability to drill down to an individual patient and nick i think about you know the the uh, what what Kay's described there, and she kind of alluded to at the start, you know, the, the the concepts around patient flow existed within the healthcare setting long before, you know, huge amounts of technology were injected to the whole process. But sometimes we just think about patient flow and technology in two as one kind of interchangeable blob. But I think it's important we think about those things kind of separately for a second, and 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 kind of unpack a little bit more about like what is the role of technology when we're thinking about these concepts of patient flow? Yeah, for me, the, the, the most important thing is actually not to think technology first. It's to think about yeah. clinician and patient first uh, and, and patient safety uh, and then think about where does it make sense for technology to be applied to the problem and the challenges presented by patient flow. Uh, and there are some key areas where that makes sense. And the, the, the first one is around data uh, and, and data interoperability or, or, as I like to talk about it, data liberation uh, from some of the existing health IT assets that that um, organisations have invested in, and how do we make that data available uh, and, and put it in front of the clinician at the point of care at the point in time that a decision needs to be made, uh, and inform them with the best information that we can give them. Uh, so, so where we look at the role of technology, it's it's first of all in getting access to that data and making it available, and then it's about well, how do we use technology to support the clinical workflow in a way that it is going to release time to care and support the effective delivery of care for the patient? Uh, so it, it might be in presenting, as we do, an electronic patient uh, journey board. Uh, so replacing that whiteboard in a, in a ward with a digital version of that capability that can be customized to the clinical workflow, uh, but then present real-time, as Kay said, real-time information out of the PAS or the EMR that it's linked to. And so you end up with that sync between those systems and the information available at the time the, the, the care is needed. And there's a bunch of other modules that we've got that support different parts of the clinical workflow. And probably the biggest piece of feedback that we get is around that positive mapping we do of our technology and our way of working into the clinical workflow. Mm, got it. What did you call it? Data liberation. Data liberation. That was, that was cool. I like that one. We're gonna we're gonna be using more of that. We need we need some data liberation. Uh, so that that that's helpful in terms of, you know, understanding 
uh, the elements and the and the why a little bit more, and the perhaps also the the bits and pieces of it. I'd love to unpack a bit more about the the, the components of of what what a patient flow solution might actually look like, though. So, and and, and there are multiple different ways to look at this, and it will look different. You know, potentially at each hospital you might go to, largely driven by what problems that they're looking to solve and 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 what their way of working is. And I think that that's one of the benefits that you can actually, as as Nick was saying, align and support the clinical workflow. Um, patient flow has applicability in acute settings, through to rehab, through to aged care. It really it, and virtual care even. It doesn't really matter. You, your aim, I guess, the overarching aim, as I said, is to optimize that patient journey, make sure that their their experience is the best that they can possibly hope to experience because they have to. Um, and, you know, then it comes back to those things like, so what are the, the things that we've got control of from that hospital perspective to ensure that that happens? And if I start, say, with one of the basic building blocks being a bed, hospitals are made up essentially of beds. They could be chairs, they can be cubicles, they can be whatever. But getting the patient in the right bed from the time that they are admitted is incredibly important to both the their experience and the quality of care that they're going to receive. I mean, I remember talking with one of um, a clinical colleague from quite a few years back and talking about the, the challenge that they're faced when they've got patients that aren't allocated to their home ward or the ward of their specialty. You know, they can do their round and then they've got to walk to the other end of the hospital because they've got one patient that is an outlier and hasn't been able to be allocated to the appropriate spot. It just creates such a logistic challenge and a care challenge. You know, you could be a, a post-surgical patient on a medical ward. That creates a challenge for the nursing staff as well too. So it's getting the patient and getting the resources in the places that they need to be. So um, whether that be physical or even human resources as well too. If you take a step up maybe from that, looking at the overall enterprise as the hospital and seeing what is the status of that at the moment is also a key element of what we believe makes a, a true and total patient flow solution. So a lot of people might just think about the dashboards on the wards, as Nick was mentioning as well too. Command centres give the executives more of that um, operational perspective, that exact real-time status of what is happening across the hospital, highlights information to them that they need to take action about and then um, they can immediately address what might be a constraint, a challenge, a demand um, overflow, etc. which again gets back to the patient, of course. So it's it's sort of wrapped up that way. So it, it really goes from beginning to end in terms of uh, patient journey, using that word that I shouldn't be using um, throughout a hospital stay and every element that happens throughout. The Talking Health Tech podcast has been running since 2018 with over 400 episodes and no signs of slowing down. It's all possible thanks to the support of our THT Plus members. These are startup and scale-up members who get it. They know that collaboration starts with a conversation and they know that to make meaningful change in healthcare, we need to break down those silos one conversation at a time. We love to feature our THT Plus startup and scale-up company members on this podcast, so you'll hear from them regularly if you listen to this show and you'll also see they have a strong presence on our SEO-optimized website. 
THT Plus members can share unlimited content on our website too, like news events and jobs, which we then redistribute across our wider audience through our socials and our newsletter. If you're interested in being part of the conversation, become a THT Plus member today so we can get the word out about the most important topics in healthcare together. Go to talkinghealthtech.com slash THT Plus to learn more. So that makes sense to me from the bed management perspective. Like that, that seems quite clear. Then trying to, I'm trying to understand a little bit more about, I guess, other parts within the hospital system that the solution might assist with, like say the ward component. Can you, can you unpack that for me a little bit? Yeah, I think um, one of those interesting things, and we've probably all seen pictures of the, I guess you call them menu whiteboards, but the, there's things with their whiteboard markers and things like that, which have been traditionally used in hospital wards for years and years and years, and it's it's reliant on people updating information. It's also reliant on not somebody brushing by and wiping off a whole lot of data as they, you know, uh-huh. rub up against a whiteboard as well too, which can happen, And or the, the magnetic markers get moved away and moved around so immediately you think you've got an, a critical result for John Smith rather than yeah. Jane Smith basically. So the practice is sort of has been there for quite some time and that gets back to where we, we sort of started talking in terms of where does technology add value to this area? And in providing a digital solution, it gives us that much more flexibility in the way that the information is presented. We can take in data for any from any range of sources that is available to us and then highlight what is critical to the people on board. So immediately, and every member of the care team can see when there's a critical result come back from a patient they you know and they don't need to be in front of that one static whiteboard on the wall of you know near the worst nurses station on the ward. that can be whenever wherever they need to be to be able to see that and they all see it at the same time they all have access to the rest of the supporting information that's available there and i think one of the the key things there is that when you think about um standard ward practices like handover Immediately, you've got a reliable, consolidated point of focus for the whole care team to understand what's happening to their patients. Well, hey, no, step back. What has happened to their patients? What's the status of their patients now? And then what is planned or not planned um, for their patients in their next phases of care? So really, they're they're working in concert much more than they were before. I wanted to build on something Kay said around command centers uh, and, and just expand on some of the, I like to visualize the problem with patient flow as we start to talk about this. And and if I give a, an analogy um, that I think can be kind of valuable is, is thinking about a pipe that's really bumpy or has a lot of, you know, uh, maybe it's an older pipe and it's got a lot of buildup on the inside of it, right? You need pressure to force the water through because it doesn't flow nice and easily. Right. Whereas you take a nice, clean, white plastic pipe, the, the new pipes that we're replacing some of the older pipes with, and, and you don't need that pressure to push the water through because it just flows. And, and that analogy is a very simple way of thinking about a hospital system. It's, it's one thing for us to go in and look at a particular part of the system. It might be a ward that's facing a challenge of moving, moving patients through. It might be ramping at the front end. It might be getting people out of ED into an inpatient bed. They're all point problems. 
But if we look at the system as a whole and we start to think about how patients flow through the system and everybody has their own journey, um, that starts to give you the concept, the sort of the the, the broader concept of, of what we're trying to solve when we talk about implementing a patient flow solution, supporting bed managers to get bed allocation right, to support command center views of understanding where those pinch points are going to occur from a demand and a capacity matching um, process. And this doesn't happen at just one point in the hospital system. It happens again and again and again and again and again as patients flow through the system. So it's this constant moving beast of trying to get demand and capacity matched so that we've got patients in the right spot to get the best care. That's a great analogy and that's helpful to, to think about. And, 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 and if, if I... If I reflect on that and and what Kay spoke about to there before about some of the tools we've got to um, uh, try and keep that that flow going, and you know we, we've we've all seen the the big whiteboard that's that's there, and 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 that's one one way. But I, as you said that, I think well, isn't that the, the role then of the EMR these days to to kind of replace that? Like where does, help me understand where, where this patient flow concept and having a patient flow solution piece tie in with the EMR? I think if you think back to what was the purpose of an EMR and we think back to their origins in the US as well too, it was to document care that was provided to a patient so essentially you could go for it. Um, so really it is on that sort of focus between the care provider and the patient. Individual care delivery is really what an EMR is built to support. A patient flow solution actually does that but also steps it up that level as well too so that you can look at whether it's cohorts of patients based on a, a different criteria or populations of patients. And you're also, though, looking at the, the logistics of patient care because just me providing care to a patient as an individual without looking at it from, well, what impact am I having on my colleagues, on the other patients on ward, on the next patient to come into that bed, uh, without looking at that broader picture, it's sort of really only one part of the overall solution I think, you know, a patient flow solution adds value to an EMR. It doesn't need an EMR to be of value. Um, as we've talked about, we can take data in from any range of systems and present that that consolidated picture, but it can co happily coexist with an EMR as well too, depending on what you're doing. And we've actually done that with quite a few clients, both relatively new EMR users as well as quite... Um, sophisticated EMR users yeah. that have recognised that it's that sort of level on top of that individual patient interaction that creates that system of record to in order to be able to manage care delivery more effectively. I think about that then and the, the need for those um, tools to, to coexist we're going to need to lean into another thing that Alcidian does really well too, I imagine, which is around this interoperability piece and the data to be, if, if we're using systems that can be effectively used in harmony and interchangeably and stuff, having having the data in a format that allows it to um, to flow would obviously, it makes sense to me that it would assist in these patient flow solutions, right? Yeah. So there's a podcast that we did with you guys just recently where we were talking about our My Precision platform. 
Yeah. And, and my precision is built to liberate data. We talked about it earlier um, and, and convert that data into a fire format. Um, so we, we map all that data into a fire ontology uh, and then make that data available to the applications that sit on top of my precision. So all of our patient flow applications and our other solutions sit on top of my precision and take advantage of that data available in the, in the fire standard. And that is key, uh, absolutely key to get that data in, a, in an interoperable um, standard. So, so the work we do is to integrate with those existing systems, the PaaS, the EMR, whatever other systems we want to draw data in. We might want to pull data from an imaging system or a pathology system. And so we map that data into Fire if, it, if it's not already in the Fire format, make it available on the Maya Precision platform uh, in real time. It's an event bus. And so as that data is updated in those source systems, it's updated on the Fire Event Platform, and our applications that sit on top of that Fire Event Platform uh, get informed of that update to that data. And the presentation layer for the clinicians, in this case, on, say, a digital whiteboard, uh, get an update to that data. I'm thinking then from a, uh, a hospital's perspective, and their, I guess, I, I get the why and I get the, the, the concepts and your analogy is, is helpful there in terms of the, the levels of friction through the pipe, right? But if I'm thinking like practical levers and things that I can be doing within the hospital setting to, to actually, you know, move the needle on some of these patient flow challenges, uh, like let, let's get to the, 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 the nitty-gritty how a little bit more, can we? Okay, and I guess, yeah, we can continue the the pipe analogy as well too and um, uh, looking at, you know, it's quite often where is my problem is nearly the hardest question because it, it can be, you know, can I see the, the, the trees for the forest or the forest for the trees or whatever it is. ED ramping, it's on front on the front of every newspaper. It's, it's you know, the headline of all the, the media that's out there. And you think, oh my God, I've got to do something about ED ramping, ambulance ramping at ED. That's that's my problem, whatever. Okay, how do I address ambulance ramping? Well, I could increase my ED capacity. That's great, but then I can get all my patients into ED, where do they go after that if they've got to get admitted? And by looking at these, that sort of singular focus in terms of what is my problem, all you're doing is pushing the problem down the pipe, basically, from that side of things. So it it's looking, and this is where patient flow gives you that benefit and, and practising patient flow management sort of more from that theoretical perspective, it gives you that full picture if you know addressing a point problem here may not alleviate the the overall problem all it may do is push the problem down the pipe further so this is where we sort of say that you know if you look at that overall picture that a patient flow system a command center etc will make that the factors the criteria that you need to know about visible to you so you can make appropriate decisions and then work out you know maybe in a, a sort of a, a phased approach how you're going to address each of those but you're recognizing the implications for the other parts of the ecosystem as well too i'm gonna i'm gonna jump in and give you another uh, analogy i love my analogies please um this this one is a funnel uh, and imagine filling a funnel with sand but putting your finger over the end of it, right? And you're essentially stopping anything from flowing through. When I think about how to solve a patient flow problem, it's not actually to start at the front. You've got to start at the back. 
So how do we take the finger off the funnel and allow some of the sand to flow through? And as we allow some of the sand to flow through, we create more capacity, which allows more sand to flow through and more sand to flow through. And, and we, we essentially free up capacity to be able to solve problems. So Kay mentioned earlier, one of the problems we see in healthcare is outliers. When we can't find a bed for somebody in the ward that they, they need to go to, we put them in another ward and they're called an outlier. That creates a logistical problem in servicing that patient. And there's all sorts of documentation out there that talk about the impact on patient length of stay associated with outliers and in, in some cases in um, patient safety and care, uh, care outcomes. We can't solve outliers unless we free up capacity in the ward that that patient needs to go to. In order to do that, we need somebody to be discharged down the line. They either need to move to a step-down service or, um, or, or to go home, to be discharged maybe into a virtual care program or, or to be actually discharged from the hospital. Uh, one, of the, one of the states, I was recently listening to a problem uh, that, that was talked about, I won't name names, but they talked about stranded patients and how the major hospitals in that system have a significant number of stranded patients in the hospital because they can't find a downstream bed for these patients. And, and it's to do with you know, aged care bed availability and, and problems downstream. But the resultant impact of that, when you trace that all the way back, is that we end up with a ramping problem. Right. Yeah. It's all kind of tied together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As Kay was describing earlier as well, there's there's a few levers and, and things that can be done to try and avoid problems or get out of the newspaper or like, you know, risk mitigation kind of strategies around that. But and And... I guess, you know, you're then avoiding potential things to go wrong. I'd love to learn a little bit more about, you know, some of the benefits that you've seen kind of perhaps more holistically within a, a health setting or within a hospital system. Are we just talking about stopping bad things from happening or is there, there more to this this whole patient flow solution? Yeah, I uh, yeah, probably more to it is fair to say. I think um, one of the, the obvious things is, and I don't like to say improved length of stay. I like to say optimised length of stay. So the patient is in the hospital for the time that is appropriate for them to receive the care that they need. You know, you've got all the terminology like avoidable bed days and things like that. Hospitals are, you know, dangerous places. Every time you go into a hospital, you're at the risk of infection and things like that. So you want to be there the the least amount of time that is, is possible. Your recuperation is better when you're home as well too. So that focus on patient discharge and patient discharge planning from when the patient is initially admitted means that you are targeting a length, a, a sort of a discharge date which results in an optimal length of stay for them. So improvements in length of stay which then release capacity, um, allow further patients to be treated essentially and as Nick said, hopefully gives you more opportunity to get the right patient in the right ward at the time. So that's just one of the sort of obvious areas of benefit. Um, one of the other areas, and we were talking about med bed management earlier as well too, bed management has traditionally been a very manual process. Um, when I first started uh, working with a new CEO at Alfred Health, and uh, he hadn't come from healthcare. He he asked what he thought was the sort of simple question about, you know, how many beds have we got? 
he hadn't come from healthcare. He thought that was a pretty simple question. He asked maybe four or five people. He got, I think, probably eight to ten different answers. He didn't understand that you had to qualify how you know how many beds um, were were they funded beds were they staffed beds were they open beds were they you know whatever. Anyhow, um, he wasn't satisfied that he was getting an answer. So what he he ended up doing was walking physically around all the hospitals and counting beds. And then because he didn't trust that he had counted all the beds, he made me physically walk around all the hospitals and count beds and then we could compare notes. You don't have to do that anymore. That's, what I, you know, a, just a little bit of a side story. But one of the the really key things that we've um, identified at one of our, our recent implementations is that the number of phone calls to the bed management office have decreased by more than 60%. I mean, that's so significant in oh. terms of how much more effective they can be in their work and what they're doing and not be checking up on things, have that confidence that the information that they're looking at in the solution is actually reliable and, and representative of the current state. I mean, that, that that's that's meaningful in itself, isn't it? And unnecessary um, distractions and questions that can be addressed, you know, directly within the system that can make a real impact and, and doing those at scale can be transformational. So that's good. On that, you know, thinking about the the all the different stakeholders involved, that you touched on a very important element of it, which is the end users of these solutions and the being the the clinicians, the frontline, that um, the clinical workforce that are utilizing patient flow solutions. What, what what kind of responses have you seen from the induction uh, introduction of these types of tools? It's it's actually quite would you say one of the most gratifying parts of our jobs? I think in terms of the adoption the relatively low levels of training we need to provide because we're able to present information in a way that's immediately understandable. It's intuitive to the, the, the user, whether they're clinical, operational, et cetera, because it's aligned with their workflow, their requirements, their understanding of what they need. They, they want to know and they don't need to go looking for it. It doesn't come without challenges. I mean, you know, the the manual whiteboard that we were talking about before, I can just draw another column on that very easily if I want to catch more data. I can move a magnetic, you know, marker very simply if I just want to do things. So there is that perception in early days sometimes that people may be losing flexibility and autonomy, uh, but I think they once they start using the digital solution, they can see the benefits that they're getting. They're getting far more accurate data, they're getting it in real time, they're getting a far more extensive um, uh, population of data um, and information as well too. So the adoption is really, it's it's just the value is not hard to, to sort of demonstrate once they start using it, which makes adoption much easier. Yeah. We had a great stat that came out the other day uh, that was talking about handover and how Every shift, there used to be an hour and a half of prep that would go into handover, uh, and that's been reduced down to less than 15 minutes. Wow. So just as one example of the kinds of benefits, right? It's just released time back to care, and, oh. and there, there are so many other areas we could talk about. It. That's just one very, very practical example. Yeah, love that. As you're talking too, like it, as we're thinking about digitizing a lot of information, a lot of data that's available, then an opportunity to do things. I'm going to guess that there's an opportunity for artificial intelligence to play a role here with patient flows. Talk to me about what you're thinking there. 
it's it's one of the most exciting areas to be honest of, of where we're going with the, with the solutions we've got so many so many areas that we've already done work in and others that we're so excited to get into um just being able to take the data that we've got and understand something like ed presentations and what we think in terms of how many people are going to present at ed in the next hour the next two hours the next three hours and so on then being able to take that and think about well how many of those patients are going to go into an inpatient admission and again provide a predictive analytic view of how many of those patients are, are going to need to go into an inpatient bed so we can start to not just study the demand and capacity mismatches but we can actually predict them uh, and, and then we can suggest well actually maybe you know we need to do something about this ahead of time so that we can avoid this occurring and so going from predictive analytics into prescriptive analytics and and thinking about making suggestions and commands so that's a that's a fantastic place where we've been working um, we're also looking at uh, at the other end of the journey uh, and thinking about uh, EDD and, and how do we provide insight into whether we feel an EDD is accurate uh, or, or whether there are Wait, EDD is estimated data discharge. I was going to pick that up. <laughs> I've been caught out. Um, so the estimated data discharge, uh, is it accurate? Uh, or or it, let's say it's today. What's the likelihood that that patient will actually go home today? And we can look at various factors that are going to influence whether that patient um is likely to go home today and provide a predicted likelihood of that. One of the other areas I want to mention, and Kay will make sure I mention this one, though, is the work we've been doing in NLP. Uh, and we've been supporting clinicians in noting uh, and using NLP in noting, uh, and we're able to pull out the key concepts from what's being written and then tie those to codes. So reducing the administration burden that's on the clinicians through the use of NLP and noting is just profound, absolutely profound. And the feedback we're getting from clinicians is transformative, releasing hours. You know, we had one the other day that was saying an hour per shift I'm getting back in terms of time because of this noting capability that's been released. So really tangible benefit that is why Kay and I do this as a job, right? This This is why we're here. Lastly, then, you know, for those that, um, you know, that, that could be a healthcare provider that's heard almost, uh, you know, a couple of hours here and a couple of hours there that all add up to, you know, um, transformational change opportunity for, for some huge benefits and address some uh, operational challenges that, that, um, that, that made of, they might have faced in the past, particularly in the patient flow area. Any advice? you'd like to give to to those in that situation? You go first, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot of confusion out there about where to invest your IT dollar in healthcare. And one of the important things to think about is, well, what systems are really going to make a difference? And there's a lot of confusion about whether an EMR is required. And I, I, the first thing I'd say is there are a lot of healthcare systems out there now who have decided that we're beyond the must-have-an-EMR phase. Uh, It's not to say that it's not going to be appropriate in certain cases. There are some health systems where absolutely having an EMR is is appropriate, but there are some that don't need it, uh, that can get away with having a simpler digital record of the patient journey 
Um, and, and there are others who have an EMR who are grappling with different problems. The advice I'd give to somebody who is struggling with challenges such as ramping, such as uh, challenges of getting patients out of the ED and into an inpatient bed is that looking at a patient flow solution either from a, um, an operational point of view and thinking about business processes and supporting their teams in understanding the importance of patient flow and the, um, the operational practices that are required to optimize patient flow is absolutely going to equip their, their teams in supporting patient flow. Then in, in concert with that, thinking about the technology solution that's going to support them in re reinforcing those practices to optimize patient flow. So uh, not giving them access to data is going to undermine the success of a patient flow initiative. Not giving them access to um, real-time information and the ability to update that information uh, is going to impede communication between teams and it's going to impede the foresight you have of the demand that's coming at you. So, um, so I would say there's there's really two steps of, of of tackling some of these patient flow issues. One is the operational practices and the education of the teams in how to execute those practices, and the second is the systems that you use to reinforce and support being successful in implementing those practices. Um, Kay, please go for it. Build on that. No, oh, thanks, Nick. <laughs> I guess, you know, look, what I would say is um, looking at things in terms of, uh, you know, speed to value proposition as well to a patient flow system, um, given uh, the availability of data in a, a health ecosystem, there are usually a lot of disparate systems, most of which provide data in one way, fashion or format, but that you, we, you know, can transform, as Nick was saying earlier, into a fire format and make it usable. It means that we can actually get something in there that's providing value back to the, the clinical and operational teams relatively quickly, supporting their workflows, um, understanding what they're doing from that perspective. And so as somebody looking, you know, at I'm running the hospital, how can I immediately make us more effective, efficient, etc.? It's one of those areas where it provides a, a, a really tangible opportunity to affect change relatively quickly and with relatively minimal disruption, which is really important. You know, you can't take time away from patient care and things like that. So I think just sort of looking at it from that perspective sort of is just a, another option that should be considered when people are looking at, you know, am I taking my first step on a, a digital transformation path or am I further down the path and I'm, I'm looking to enhance what I've already got? That's so good. Look, and um, I, I guess that's a, uh, I reflect on the conversation we've had and the the importance that um, not just the, the the importance that interoperable data has not just for you know the the ta very tangible and real benefits that exist within the health system in terms of you know reducing unnecessary time that clinicians are spending but also really importantly or, and many other benefits too but also really importantly on the patient side as well and and by by bringing these two elements together around 
you know, good solid interoperable data that's, you know, by fire standards can then tie in with really solid patient flow solutions can have some some cool transformational impact. So I'll make sure we've got the details for our city and the show notes for this episode for people to check out and get in touch. And as THT Plus members got a good presence on our Talking Health Tech website too. So make sure you get in uh, touch if you're keen to discuss further. Nick, Kay, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Pete. Thank you. Thanks, Pete. Hey, before you go, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and you enjoyed this show, write a nice review and give us five stars in your favorite podcast player. At the time of this recording, we've been stuck on 65 reviews on Apple. I'm not sure what that's about, but if this show is part of your regular routine and you've listened this far, it would mean the world to me if you could take two minutes and write a nice review, give us five stars. It does more than just boost my ego. It also helps us climb the charts and reach more people. Thanks so much. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit talkinghealthtech.com.